We <laughs> screwed. Sorry. <laughs> I should probably not wear a zombie peach shirt while we do this, should I? I mean, it, I'm not wearing clothes is optional. That was always my understanding. <laughs> oh, I mean, just zoom. No one else is going to see this, right? I don't know. What with the uh, internet celebrity Ryan Nanny on here, we might actually get an audience this time. That's true. Mm. Don't count on it. <laughs> well, guys, uh, from the Banish Society, Ryan Nanny, the editor-in-chief of the Banish Society, has, for some ungodly reason, decided to join us on the Illuminati podcast. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me. And, and what better place could I be on a Tuesday night in the middle of a pandemic? God, like 16 <laughs> other places. I'll be wow. honest, man. Still, virtually, still. Yeah, virtually in Tampa is definitely top of the list. <laughs> Just noted, noted so, Tampa man, Ryan Nanny over here. So, Ryan, I, I have questions. Uh, first of all, you, you're born and raised here, correct? I was born in Gainesville, but we moved to Tampa when I was two. So, for all realistic purposes, yeah, I, I was raised in Tampa. Okay. And where did you go to elementary, middle, and high school? Okay. I went to elementary and middle school at Carrollwood Day School, um, okay. which uh, is not as hoity as it is, it, or it's not, it, it wasn't as hoity then. It was still pretty hoity, but it was like run out of a summer camp. Like the classrooms were camp cabins and they each had a shower in them. And when I tell people that now, they're like, that's weird. And it doesn't even register to me. And then I went to Hillsborough for high school. Okay. So you know this area well. I think you've told me once you're like from, you lived up in like Lutz or somewhere north yes. of the city, correct? That's right. Yes. I, I lived in Lutz. So like South Tampa, I still have like a pretty decent feel for. I'll be totally honest. St. Pete means nothing to like, I, wow. I'm like, the, there's the Dolly Museum and there's the, uh, the Rays and there's grouper. You can get good grouper. Other than that, I got nothing. <laughs> so that's, I, that, that kind of makes sense because, um, like when you're at that age, you can't really, it's not like you have a car and you can just sort of like go wherever you want to go. So how much have you been back since you have matriculated, you know, after you graduated college and have you gotten to explore the city a little bit more? Because if I was going to like Carrollwood and, you know, Hillsborough high every day, um, I might necess- not necessarily be in love with the city. I don't know. <laughs> um, I have not been back lately as much as I probably should or would like to, but I have, I probably come back once every two years seems about right. Like, and it's usually around the holidays or something like that. And it is just, it is very weird. I still can't really process the level to which things have changed, like over by Hillsborough um, in Seminole Heights. There used to be nothing. It's very weird to go there now and be like, there's fancy wine bars and like cool restaurants. Like none of that was a thing. There was, you could get Cuban bread. Um, You could go to (laughs) Bo's to get ice cream if you were willing to drive a little bit. There was a Domino's. There was a McDonald's. Like there was nowhere interest. You never heard of people going there for anything other than like a school event, really. Right. And now it's become like, I mean, the thing that everybody does now, now down here is they buy a house in the Heights, they revamp it. They like, you know, from scratch, you know, tear it down to the studs and they build some sort of like Brooklyn style, you know, 
home that full of like and try and make a young emerging neighborhood you know right so medicine bulbs yeah it's a weird uh, millennial version of a mcmansion they just tear down or at least they gut these houses and they try to sell them for five six hundred thousand (laughs) dollars that's insane that sounds so crazy to me i mean i get why it's happening but man that's it's it's very strange to think of like what that was in like the late 90s early 2000s and what it is now so yeah. what you're saying is you don't vacation in Seminole Heights that often. I don't. I, and I'm really missing out, apparently. Well, I, I drove past you know, on 275 every day going to USF as a commuter. And like the biggest thing that happened around that area in that time is when they opened the cash and carry on MLK. That was That's like a right. huge yes. deal. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It was now massive. It's, I get the sense, and I, I, I think I am probably usually unfair to Tampa because I, my image of Tampa is very much like 1995 when it's just strip malls and there really weren't, like there were a handful of small businesses here and there. And some of them are, st- I think, still around, like Alessi was there. And like, I think the Tampa Picture Show is still around or, some, or something of that ilk is still there. But like, by and large... It was just like cool. Which which chilies would you like to go to? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is like the city has changed like so much. You know, it's I I I don't see a chain restaurant. I I'm, I live like a block from Burns, so like I and I there's not like a chain restaurant around here. You know, for a mile and a half probably in any direction except yeah. for like on Kennedy. Yeah. You know? So it, it's just so different. And but like Tampa still has this. I think some of the national perception is still like what it was 20 years ago. And I totally get it because I, I first got to Tampa in 1994 and it was anything. And even downtown at that point, like they were all up the sidewalks at like six 30, right. there was nothing to do at night like in downtown Tampa. And so now the city has like sort of come along and it's like fun and interesting and all that. but beating that perception. I just think it's going to take, yeah, it's honestly, you know, losing WrestleMania hurts. If we don't have like people here for the Super Bowl this year, that's gonna suck. You know, we keep trying to like reintroduce people. Like, no, 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 it's really cool here. You know, when the college football playoff here was was here, we had like th- that was the first phase of the Riverwalk had opened, and so like we're doing events on the Riverwalk, and there, you know, there was like yachts out there and everything like this. And it's like we're trying to reintroduce to people. No, 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 it's really cool here now. It's okay. It's not just like Walmart. Yeah, you know? we're right. We're not called the Paris of Florida for nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's it's really nice to have someone uh, north of Kennedy uh, from north of Kennedy on, on the podcast because I'm usually outnumbered. Uh, right, I live like maybe half a mile away from Carewood Day School. Yeah, so it, it's it's nice to finally have some backup because these guys, man, call, I mean, Colin especially is relentless. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, the south of Kennedy's smugness. I mean, I love, I love the chilies and the Publix on Del Mabry and Fletcher, right? <laughs> that was where I grew up. So, <laughs> so just leave me alone, damn it. You know, it's really yeah, it's pretty, we make the joke, Ryan, now that like, if you go north of Kennedy and you live down here, you need to get your passport stamped. Um, <laughs> because like no one ever goes, if you, you never go south of Gandy and you never go, no, never go north of Kennedy. Well, you don't really need to at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, you got everything you need here. There are um, starting to be reasons to go south of Gandhi. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. Because south of Gandhi was like, between there and the Air Force Base was like a war zone. Right. And now there's like real houses and families down there and stuff like that. But the problem with down there is just like, there's only one way in and one way out. They really need to build like a bridge that like can get you over the water or some other way. It's just the traffic from there unless you, you know, jump an expressway. It's a very um, family-friendly Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> 
very much so. But yeah, I, I, so as someone who sees this from the outside and sort of has that negative perception, what should Tampa do to try and increase their level of non-Floridaness? Wow. That's kind of what we're going for because we're okay. really trying to be like not Florida, Florida. I think like, so, so I will answer this from a purely sports perspective because that's like the thing I still have probably the best sense of. And I think there is something about Tampa, like Tampa doesn't have any kind of consistent branding across its major sports, college and professional. And it leads to this very like weird mishmash of like, sometimes it's sea life and then there's the lightning and then there's the bulls. And like, none of them really tell you anything about what Tampa wants to be or is trying to be. Like, I know there's the Gasparilla thing, but like, it feels off to be like, oh man, Tampa's got this like really heavy nautical pirate culture. Like, no, it's Key West. Like, what are you talking about? That's not, that's not really what the city is about. So like, I think if there were some sort of streamlining there, and I know it's like, that's largely happened because of the circumstances of how these teams came to be because Tampa's always been like the expansion city. It's not the original city for any of these sports. And so it gets sort of like, all of, all of the teams, now that I'm thinking about it, sort of have the feel of the era in which they were uh, brought in as expansion teams. Like the Bucks still have, in some ways, that kind of like 70s feel. And the Lightning still have, in some ways, that early 90s feel and so on and so forth. But like, because there isn't any consistency, like Boston teams you don't have to like them, but at least you sort of get a consistency of who they are and what they are about that reinforces and tells you if you don't know much about them, like what Boston is about. To some extent, LA is the same way. To some extent, like some of the teams in Texas are the same way too. And I think like Miami's done an okay job of this by and large, like maybe not as consistently. Man, the Jaguars really tell you a lot about what Jacksonville is. Maybe that's on accident and maybe it's not in the way that you want to, but like you learn a lot about Jacksonville, like just through the Jaguars. That's, that's so accurate. That's like so, so accurate. The thing you say about the teams who come in, like I've always said that the Bucks fans, those are the people that have been passed down from generation to generation in the seventies it's much more of like a regional team. Like you can be a Bucks fan in Tarpon Springs just as easily as if you're in Brandon. Yep. It seems to like cover more, like more of the region. The Rays like has a pretty good base in Hillsborough, but they don't like go to games because that's a real pain in the ass. So they, it's more like fans, but they go to like one or two games a year and the, the rest of the time they sit at home watching television. And the Lightning are like the downtown team. If you live downtown, you live in South Tampa, you go to Lightning games, that's the thing to do. And it's become, they're considered a good community partner. And it really helps that they win a lot of games too. Yeah, so that's yeah. sort of become like the, the core of the city's team is, uh, is the lightning. So it's, it's almost sort of like broken up even more regionally, I think than era. Um, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, yeah. so do we move the race to Cobb County is my question. <laughs> <laughs> they can share the old brave stadium with who has that now? Georgia state. Georgia Georgia state. state. Yeah. Like they can share. There's no reason. Right. It's going to wheel out those football stands a couple times or yeah. before the season starts. Just storm somewhere, put them in the parking lot. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm going to drive to St. Pete as much as I'm driving to, to you know Cobb County anyway, so I'm good. It's probably easier to get to Cobb County from Tampa than it is to get to St. Pete. What That's is 
what are the chances at this point that they get a new stadium? In not good. Okay. Not good at all. The, um, it wasn't. There was a push for Ebor, but that fell apart real quick. I don't know if it's am, more Tampa's unwillingness to help them as it is the ownership's just unwillingness to engage, move an inch. Yeah, they just don't yeah. want to engage. They're they're just so far up this like let's spend half the year in Montreal, eh? And it's just they. <laughs> Just try, it's like they're trying to make everybody hate them so they can leave. So that they can say the city didn't support us. Therefore, right. we had Correct. to. Leave. We had no choice. I interviewed Matt Silverman the day that they released the plans for Ebor. They did it at the uh, the Italian club down in Ebor. Uh-huh. And uh, I I said, so how much are you going to put up towards this thing? And he goes, well, I'll start at 150 million, and uh, we'll go from there. And the stadium cost was like a billion dollars. And he's like, well, I'll put up 150 million and we'll, you know, we'll get it working from there. And then the city and the county went back to him and said, okay, well, how about you pay half? And he's like, how about 150 million? <laughs> they go, what about 45%? And they go, how about 150 million? So that's kind of where they're at. Um, I, there's no way that team's in, I don't think anywhere in the region in 2028. It could be wrong. And like at the last minute, somebody pulls some, some deal together. But like, even now we're so overbuilt, like, you probably can't even imagine this. They're building this huge development at 275 in Del Mabry. That's like $600 million with like thousands of apartments. They're, built, they're putting a shake shack in. It's like a whole thing. The city wanna, really. That's, that's where people want to live? No. Yeah, because it's so. They're building. Okay. <laughs> because there's no space left in actual South Tampa. That's as close Oh, to I see. I see. All right. I got you. Else. Yeah. Yeah. My neighborhood, you can't like, there's no way. What you do is if you want to buy a house here, you like, knock down the house that was already here. That's been here for a hundred years. Like there's no, there's no space and you can't like zone anything down here. So they're building this like huge development on like 275 in Del Mabry. The, the Vinick project in downtown Tampa is been slowed down significantly because they're, they want to build all this inventory and there's just not enough people that can afford it to, to get into the city. So I don't see how like you could even like stick a ballpark in somewhere else and like redevelop everything around it. Right. Because all the stuff that you would develop around it, nobody's going to want be able to afford or want to be able to move to. So they should just, they should just build it on top of the aquarium. They should just sort of like lean into the branding, say, we'll figure out how to put a damn stadium on top of the aquarium. And that's it. Like now we've just got, we've just built this absurdly tall, a combination aquarium baseball park. Oh, just have the cruise ships like pull right into center field yes. and like stop yeah. the baseball game. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> have like as part of your carnival cruise, you get to watch three innings of baseball. Yeah. And, like have oh, pull yeah. in park, you know, right and you get to water. count that for attendance too. That counts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and like much like the catwalks, if you hit if you hit the yeah, cruise ship, it's a, a double. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the you ship hit? is in play. You get a passenger. A that's a triple. Gets the ball. Yeah. <laughs> hit a guy in the go kart. It's a in inside the park. <laughs> oh, even that, like Lord. it's hard to believe, but there are like cruise ship terminals all up and down that channel, and there's stuff around the corner and big parking garages and like a thirty-story apartment building. Even in that area, I mean, if you wanted to build it on top of the aquarium, there's not enough room to build it on top yeah. of the aquarium because there's yeah. stuff around it already. Yeah, that's that. That will be a problem. We'll have to like get it yeah. grandfathered in under extremely narrow constraints um what if they make it like under the water like you know, play baseball under the sea honestly it would be just as much of a um aesthetic experience as what they're currently playing in. so and at least it would sort of have something different about it other than hey come play in an abandoned costco yeah you know the, the, the thing about uh the aquarium 
and I think this still goes down to me as the most Tampa thing ever. The aquarium literally solved the coral reef problem. Like the research that they did is growing coral reef in the Caribbean right now. Yeah. And all of that research was funded by people going and getting drunk at wine events at the Florida aquarium. This is not a joke. <laughs> like <laughs> they do like, they, they do like three, four wine events a year that raise tons of money with like, you know, auctions and all sorts of like stuff. Yeah. We see grapes and all this kind of stuff. And they literally took that money and put it into coral reef research and are like saving the planet from like bleached coral because Thanks. a bunch of South Tampa moms wanted to Thanks. get wine moms. Wine moms <laughs> the planet as we predicted. There, there is so much money in Tampa. It's insane. And they use it for such tacky purposes, but it ends up pretty well. I'm glad that hasn't changed at least because that has been, that was true then. I hope it's true forever. My question to you all is where do, where does USF fit into like, like you asked me sort of like, what can Tampa do? My question to you in return is what can USF do to sort of like raise its profile or like become more associated with Tampa or the region? Like what, what is the step that they have to take that they haven't so far? Should have bought UT in 1999 when they had the yep. chance. Okay, just bought the damn campus. Okay, like, that would have been the move, and it was on it was on the table. And now UT won't sell because they're actually like making money and like oh, uh, not so much. <laughs> well, they're they're doing better than they were. So it might come around again. You're saying it's yes. possible. <laughs> they should have bought UT when they had the chance. Um, regionally, like don't put out a stupid logo that everybody hates and spend two million dollars <laughs> on it. Have your all I just hate your guts like that. That seems bad. Um, yeah, not, sure. Not staff leadership, a bunch of fucking dodos. <laughs> the communication staff, like, and then when the guy who has the logo, like, who put together this million, multi-million dollar mistake, don't have him still in charge because he's still there. Oh, which is insane. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun to know that we can all, you know, USF knows you can fall down and they'll pick you back up. That's important. That's supportive. Oh, we can actually get back up. <laughs> in theory. Oh, in theory. Yeah, should we just be wearing like should USF like put like a life alert bracelet on their logo? <laughs> yes. It's like this. Yes. Just press the button if they fall down. Okay. Do you think the stadium thing matters? Like like I know people sort of have brought this up. It feels like it's a an easy thing to point out, but do you think the stadium thing matters? No. no okay. I don't either, but the facilities matter. Yes. Sure. The being surrounded by being surrounded by bull gators and, and bull knolls. Yeah, that's, like that, that's the thing is how many that's people, the issue have in Tampa. Moved, people who have moved back to Tampa from Gainesville or Tallahassee who went to high school in Tampa, St. Pete, and then moved back and are obviously never going to support USF because they have their own school to support. I mean, it's kind of the same way with some of the pro teams, but it's especially bad in college. And USF is not old enough to have tens of thousands of alums who are well enough off to go buy football tickets and keep showing up even when they're bad like they are now. You know, the, the fan base is not... We probably haven't been playing football long enough to have, like, that multi-generational fan base, but the people we have now are not, like, diehards, I would say. Frankly, if you still have people who are around during your very first game that are still alive, it's probably going to be an issue for growing a fan base, honestly. And, and they're going to be around yeah. for another like 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah, right. right. So that's, the, that's the unfortunate part, you know, that Gators and Knowles don't really have that, that issue. And we're not like 
providing a fantastic game experience right now for like the students who come through. And that's the biggest problem is that at one point going to a USF football game was like a fun, engaging experience. If you were a student, you know, they charge the field after they beat like, you know, West Virginia and Bowling Green and all this stuff. And it, it was much more fun. And those students felt much more tied. Now these kids come through. I went through with a associate AD uh, like two, three years ago to like all the fraternity and sorority meetings. And he would just like walk in and go, how many of y'all knew we had a football game last Saturday? And like, eh, 40% of the hands in the room would go up. And we'd be like, oh my God, this is so much worse than we thought. <laughs> what is, what um, do you think is driving? Like, you know, look, it's not as if USF is a absolute dumpster fire. It's not as if they are in the well, worst conference they could. I mean, like it, it can get worse is what I'm, listen, man. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have been to multiple Rutgers games, so... <laughs> So have we, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what? What is? Is it just like they haven't gotten over the hump in terms of winning consistently? Are they not like reaching out to students in the right way? Like, what's the what's the problem there? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Um, <laughs> the answer is yeah. yes. Yeah, it's okay. a, it's a general apathy. It, it's it's apathy. We we've had too many lean years not followed by flush years. Right. Like it's, it's, you know, we're good. And then like, ah, shit, that, that's a five year, you know, doldrum. So it's, it, it's, there's too many other people uh, that went to USF that, that grew up being Florida fans, grew up being Florida state fans, even Miami fans. I grew up being a Florida fan and it took me a couple of years to really get in USF. And, you know, you couldn't drag me away from it now. Really wish somebody would have warned me, but <laughs> yeah. it's just, yeah. See out of the last, 10, 11 years, USF's only had like three and a half good football seasons, and that's just not going to build a fan base. And they didn't win any trophies either. They won like, you know, the the swole uh, centurion with his butt open bowl trophy, but that's about all they got. It's really bad. And like the, I think it's also part of the, the previous president of the university and some of the administration, like they really want to be like an academic research first school. Right. They're really, I mean, the goal is the AAU. That's you know, they won't say it out loud, but that's 1000% the goal of the university. Oh, and so is. they take, it is, it absolutely is. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and like, that's what they want. And so they're going to do everything they can. Unfortunately, that requires you to recruit a student that may not be as campus centric as somebody in say Oviedo. And, um, hmm. that's going to make it a challenge to build a campus culture. But th- those two, you got to have those two things like rise together though. And they're, they've put such an emphasis on the academic and like, you know, these students, they go to like orientation and there's like no athletics presence at orientation from USF. It's crazy. Right. It's just like, you know, you have to, I said, you got to It's do not it. because of athletics will, unwillingness to go there. It's just, right. they just exclude it. Like they didn't even bring it up. Yeah. It, it's nice to have, but they always want to be the academic school they want. So a couple of years ago, USF made the decision they either could do volume or they could do, you know, quality, you know, quality over quantity. Another school, maybe not too far from here, decided to go quantity. I was going to say, I feel yeah, like I know where this is going. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> I mean, we can't all have 700,000 students. And, uh, and a bitch and water slide. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you get two you get two course credits if you get down the whole thing, right? That's true. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you spend an hour in the wave pool, that counts as a SU class. <laughs> they just go hang out there twice a week for an hour fifteen, and you know if you don't drown, you get an S. Yeah, that's Earth Sciences counts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. So yeah, we just we it, that's just the nature of what we've done as a school, and 
they've always leaned in the academic. It's like, and you know, I've even heard some like people say, well, why can't USF get good, better football players or better basketball players? We don't cheat, man. Hey, why we don't cheat? Cause we think we're freaking Harvard mm-hmm. and they, <laughs> you know, we, we don't put an emphasis on some of the more public facing trappings of a school. But on the other hand, like the endowment, like, you know, UCF's got way more students. USF's endowment's like what, three times bigger. I think it is something like that. So like, it's working academically, like the academic stuff, at the university, like they've done a very good job, but they built no buy-in and no brand loyalty and no culture. So, so here's the, the flip side is since we brought them up, where, where is it really getting UCF right now? Because like, I don't know if y'all have talked about it already, but if there was a year for, for, for central Florida to finally stop like complaining and like have a shot, albeit in the strangest, stupidest circumstances possible. Like the Pac-12 is playing too late to really be a factor. The Big Ten's going to be behind the eight ball a little bit. The SEC might eat itself alive. The Big 12 already did eat. It's like it was yeah. all set up and then you lost to Tulsa. So I don't want to hear the whining ever again. Ever. Oh, we had we had that tweet up as soon as the last pass hit the ground <laughs> and they blew an 18 point lead too. I mean, if there was ever going to be a chance for the AAC to break through and make the playoff other than Houston in 2016, this was it. And they tripped and fell on the first hurdle. And you know, I don't think Cincinnati is good enough to do it. They're, I mean, they're going to, they're going to fuck it up somehow. Like they I mean, just, barely beat that, us. that quarterback of theirs is going to blow it eventually. He's just not good. It's super unfortunate. And God, you haven't beaten Tulsa in ha- over half a decade. How is that possible? Charlie Strong beat him twice. <laughs> Even when he was trying to lose to him, he still beat him. And like, it, I, yeah, you know, Bomani Jones, you know, has the, the frame uh, phrase lemon booty. Like that was Philip Montgomery for Tulsa for the better part of his entire tenure at, at Tulsa. And we thought it was going to happen. He, he was going to be diet lemon booty to Mike Norvell's actual lemon booty. And it just didn't happen. It was just shocking to see. And as a Florida Bomani also right. says, uh, Oh, Bomani also says UCF has bots, man. Which <laughs> check our mentions. Yeah, they got bots. <laughs> Big time bots. Um, I almost wish you had those bots. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I want you to just ruin Colin's life and tell us why Gasparilla is a fake ass holiday. Well, I mean, it's based on people who didn't exist. And so it has no historical basis whatsoever. <clears throat> um, that's fair and i understand it's the that it's, same thing as christmas christmas least, is the same there are children right. that listen to the podcast but, but, but here's, here's the thing gasparilla wasn't started in like the 14th century or some no. shit if if somebody tried to invent christmas like in the 80s you'd be like Wait, wait a second. What are we doing here? That's you just want an excuse to drink it when it's like December, right? And I just Absolutely. like if well, as we long did it with Cinco de Mayo, why can't we do it with Gasparilla? Cinco de Mayo is not even a real holiday. You know what? You're right. I, I should be giving Gasparilla more credit because where Cinco de Mayo is like with pirates, white Cinco people, pirates. white people adopting a culture that's not theirs. Gasparilla is white people adopting a culture that doesn't even exist. <laughs> so it's really the more admirable path. It's better than normal. Yeah, it turns I, it right around on that one, Ryan. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So Gasparilla is the way of the future. <laughs> <laughs> If you start a fake holiday in 1904 and you're getting to this day, three, 400,000 people on Bayshore for like one Saturday a year, at that point, 
it doesn't matter where it started. It's where it finished. That's what it and is. It absolutely. I, it's not going friends. anywhere. Like I, I was, I was at an art show on last Saturday and they, they are selling Gasparilla wreaths already. Like this is what this town does. Just embrace, you got to embrace it. What, have you been to like Gasparilla as an adult? No, like, I haven't. For the good parade. Yeah. No. So you got to go to the like adult, the kid parade. <laughs> Forget that. That's not a real thing. Like, and now it's, it's turned into an arts festival and a film festival and mm-hmm. everything like that. You got to come. So Ryan, this is me inviting you at some point. You're going to come back here like, like in your once in every two years. Right. Let's go have a couple drinks somewhere. I'll show you all the stuff you're missing. And then we'll take the video. We'll take, a, we'll put it together and you can see what makes Tampa truly a great city. Can I ask a manager for Tampa now? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, can basically. Can I ask commerce? I'm can I ask that. strangers to tell me historical facts about Jose Gaspar? Absolutely. There are no facts. You see exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to see the answer is correct answer. <laughs> That's true. It's a canvas you can paint your own bullshit on if you want. That's right. <laughs> All right, Colin, I will take you up on that offer and I I will um you can book me for a Gasparilla to be named later. It absolutely sucks that the Super Bowl is going to have like one tenth as many people here as it normally would because Gasparilla would have just been a rager next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's the week they they did it one year. It was it two thousand one? They did Gasparilla and the Super Bowl on the same weekend, and they're like, "Yeah, we're never doing that again." That so <laughs> that was not good. So now they're doing um, it's the week before, but there's not going to be anybody here for the Super Bowl, and that's not great either. And all of our friends are losing millions and millions of dollars. It's not a great year to have the Super Bowl. That's for sure. No, no. Well, I mean, if the Bucks make the Super Bowl, they were going to lose all that money anyway. So go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well. Ryan, I appreciate you hopping on and, and chatting with us. Uh, as always, you guys can follow him at Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter. Check him out on Banner Society. Uh, him, Stephen Godfrey, and Holly Anderson do a fantastic job. Uh, anything else that you want to plug real quick? No, just happy to happy to chat with y'all. Um, thanks for having me on, and I'm going to go. I should probably start preparing my liver now for this future Gasparilla, so I'm going to go do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, All right, so you can actually take pre-medicine, uh, like, uh, I don't know, Valtrex, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how you accidentally build up an immunity to it. Uh, I mean, you're coming here for Gasparilla, bud. That's fair. That's fair. Just mix it in the IV bags. <laughs> I, I think everybody on this call, except for Seth, has been to Gasparilla at my house before, and it does turn into... I haven't, but I need to go. Uh, uh, sorry, I too old. Yeah. yeah, it's it's quite the shit show. Uh, every year it's you know it's the one day a year where you can act like you're still 19 and everybody doesn't look at you funny so it's great welcome to the Bluminati podcast this is your host Nathan Bond alongside me as always Seth Barndor switching it up no Stieg no Vito tonight but in their stead uh, you can debate amongst yourselves or with your mother on if it's an upgrade or not we've got Colin Sherwin and Senator Giggity alongside us welcome to the podcast for I think maybe the first time this year folks or at least during the football season. This is definitely during football squad. Yeah. This is a pleasure to be here, boys. I'll say we're bad at football. It's fine. I'm not worried about it, but we're really, really, really bad at football and it's not going to get better. But fortunately, ECU might be worse. So we might actually win this weekend. There's a good shot of that. Um, they're calling this week because ECU is just hot garbage. 
uh, we'll get into that. Uh, I do want to shout out uh, the team of hate blog for destroying the USF alumni association trivia night of Jamie Colin, myself and uh, Jen, Jen, who we just kind of demolished the field, got every question right. And it was a runaway. Um, appreciate them putting it together uh, and actually giving us saying nice things about us after, I don't know, probably ripping them for the better part of 10 years. We just want them to be good at their job and they did a fantastic job tonight. Um, a lot of fun to be had for sure, but let's kind of get into it right real quick. Uh, USF loses Cincinnati 28 to, uh, to seven, just the offense didn't really click. Katravis Marsh got the start as a true freshman and, uh, was, uh, you know, freshman got a freshman. I think the Bulls, Bulls and uh, Bearcats turned it over uh, on four straight possessions, and that was kind of how the rest of the night progressed for the Bulls. Seth, let's start with you. Just overall thoughts from the Cincinnati game. What did you see? Was there anything uh, maybe to take away from uh, whatever that was on Saturday? Uh, I mean, I think it was pretty much exactly what we expected to happen. Um, so was, I thought the defense played well. So that's like a, that's a big plus. Um, you weren't sure with them being so undermanned with, with uh, people being out right before the game. And um, so I thought the defense played really well. The offense is still uh, quite poor. The, some of the interceptions, you know, even Jeff, I heard Jeff Scott talk about it on his radio show and, and we'll show it on the film room we do. Some of those interceptions were not the quarterback's fault. The receipt, it was the receiver's fault for running bad routes and getting himself squeezed to the sideline and giving the quarterback no room to throw the ball. So, I like like he said a bunch of times, and like everyone can see, the, the quarterback thing is still up in the air. Uh, nobody's separating themselves. In fact, I think everyone's gotten closer together, and I wouldn't mind seeing all three again this week. So, not too much unexpected, but I did like how the defense played in their aggressiveness, too. I thought that was a good thing to see after them being a little more passive uh, in the first couple of games, whether it was due to being outmanned or just you kind of have to be when you play the triple option. So, Right. And uh, you mentioned that. Oh, go ahead, Colin. I was going to say that, yeah, I, I, defense definitely had to where I thought they would be. You know, you talk about the, the three quarterbacks, the five quarterbacks. Um, I think clearly there's only one quarterback, and that's Randall St. Felix. Um, <laughs> you know, 251 passer rating. I don't see how he doesn't start this weekend. Listen, if we're going to sit Cade Fortin down after five bad throws, the only one that can play is, is St. Felix. Yeah, Cade, two of six for uh, 14 yards. McLeod threw two picks. I mean, Marsh threw three picks. He threw as many to the other team as were completed to his own team. This, there's nothing you can do here. Like, it's just scrap it. Hopefully you can find one or two guys. It doesn't look like they found anybody at quarterback that's like so overwhelming that you wouldn't want to get a transfer and somebody who could help you right away next year. Um, so I think USF will be active in the transfer market. I'd be um, interested to see if we get more Fortin because I think he was handpicked by Jeff Scott. So I'm surprised that he got the hook so quickly last week. Yeah. I know for I'm, I have some pretty good authority that he picked him over other people in the transfer market. So Yeah, but I, also, I think you and I have also heard that maybe in practice he is also not necessarily performing the way that we – Yeah, that's very, that's very possible. And, there, I, and I think there's a, another thing that's a common misconception I've heard of a couple of people is, you know, oh, uh, you know, when, when you say, well, why isn't this guy playing as much? Well, he's, maybe he's poor in practice. Ah, just throw him out there. There's no such thing as a gamer. That's a myth. Anybody that says there's gamers has never coached 
or it's coached some studs that can just roll out and do whatever you want. There's no gamers. If you're if you're bad in practice, you're not going to be good in the game. If you're bad in optimal conditions, you're not going to be good in, in tough conditions. So I, I agree with this for football. I've never coached football. I've definitely seen – there have been USF basketball players that are dog shit in practice, like terrible. And then ball goes up, and they're some of the best players we've ever had. They just – don't go through the motions and practice every day. But when they could, I guess maybe in basketball, it's much more possible because it's more of an individual than team. But why is um, Dominique Jones's name just flashing through my head right now? <laughs> it was, he, he's on that list. Um, but it's not necessarily like, it's not, I'm not even talking about like an effort issue. Like, yeah, you, you have guys that are really good that just don't practice that hard. Like you don't have to be a great practice player. But if you can't complete passes to in practice, you're not going to complete them in a game. We got a live pass rush coming at you, right? So, like for everyone that's kind of like, and this may be what's going on with Kate Fortin. Maybe that's why I got a quick cook. Maybe he doesn't look that good. They're just like, all right, we got to give him a chance because we have to give somebody a chance. But you know, for everyone that's you know claiming for other guys, if they're not playing. They're probably not very good in practice, and if they're not good in practice. They're not going to play well in the game. But it's very highly unlikely. And it, I want to kind of touch on the defense for a minute before we kind of delve into this quarterback situation because I have uh, some thoughts on that. Uh, I do want to shout out just the, the defensive effort. I think they had, uh, of the 12 unavailables, eight were on defense, including your starting safety, two rotation guys, uh, a starting linebacker, and uh, converted running back Brian Norris came through in a huge way, led the team, tied for the team high in tackles with 11 with uh, Vincent Davis. I mean, Matt Harris, true freshman, uh, had an interception. Chris Townsville had an interception. I mean, a lot of new guys. Uh, the, I think three of the four turnovers by the USF defense were by newcomers. Thad Mangum recovered the fumble that I believe Blake Green forced. And then uh, Matt Harris and, and Chris Townsville both had interceptions. It, I am shocked at how well the defense has played, given the fact that, I mean, they're out there for – a long time just be just because they they can't do anything you know they they saw uh Cincinnati ran 71 plays but they had the ball for 36 minutes on Saturday they just they played their ass off and that's that's what you want to see and I know third down was a bugaboo for them I mean it's been a bugaboo for about two and a half years now just don't get it right I, I trust this defense to get it right um you know Seven of seven of nine on third and shorts for Cincinnati. That's not really going to get it done, uh, but that's something that get that'll get changed. And then to 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 the quarterbacks, I think it's going to be Jordan McLeod. I agree. Just watching the film, which is watching the offense in the second half prior to uh, you know the kind of the fourth quarter meltdown. There, um, they move. They move the ball well he was able to evade some, some rushes and make some throws. There's one throw Johnny Ford split out wide and it's basically a post route and Jordan McLeod pump fakes the linebacker, gets him off his mark and then just slings it sidearm like Patrick Mahomes straight to Johnny Ford for a nice completion. It, all right, Seth, you understand where I'm going at. I mean, not <laughs> Don't even Patrick, mention Mahomes. Not actually Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> but the same throw. Like you can, I can yeah. recreate. Uh, who is it? Jeff Bagwell. Oh, Rich, Rich Gannon. Yeah, I can recreate Jeff Bagwell's batting stance, but I'm not going <laughs> to hit it like Jeff Bagwell, right? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like just he was able to move the offense and his two interceptions. The first one, 
it was a bad it was a bad throw. The left tackle and the running back both got beat. So he had two guys gunning in on him and he couldn't step up to make the throw. It's gonna be it's supposed to be an over the shoulder kind of catch further into the end zone than what it was. Couldn't step into it, easily picked off. And then the second one, he actually has good protection, but he had been hit so much in the game already. He didn't trust the pocket, started fading back and just didn't see the underneath defender. And with Kate Fortin, man, I haven't I haven't seen Jeff Scott call out many guys uh, so far, but he basically called out Jeff uh, Cade Fortin uh, on his radio show yesterday without saying Cade's name. He he described a situation. It's like you can't you can't have a guy open on third and eleven and sail it over his head. That was Cade Fortin. Uh, what's, yeah. what's what's funny about that is if you go back to the Notre Dame game, it was almost the exact same situation. And McLeod threw one in the dirt or threw one, you know, it was like a same third and 11 on the same day. So I, it's, it's interesting that he got such a quick hook that could tell us something about what's going on at practice. Right. And I think being, as you mentioned, you know, the guy that Jeff Scott picked, he's like, dude, you gotta, I'm, I'm trying here, brother. I'm trying to help you out as much as you can, but you gotta get <laughs> me halfway. Okay. <laughs> You got you to hit these throws, man. And then uh, I think right before the half, not the Hail Mary. I don't even want to count the Hail Mary. It was end of the half, whatever. There's a throw that he – he Kate escapes the pocket. But, again, like Jeff Scott mentioned, the wide receivers just kind of ran to the sideline. So it was a throw to – I think it was uh, Latrell Williams basically yeah. in the end zone. He makes the catch, but he's out of bounds because he didn't get – he didn't have that five-yard buffer. It was exactly where you want it except – Latrell had to basically he was pushed up against the sideline, couldn't make the adjustment. It would have been a great throw, great catch, great touchdown, but wide receiver messes it up. And that's the same kind of thing. Uh, you know, I think it was Travis's uh, second interception, basically the same, same premise. Uh, wide receiver just gets rubbed into the sideline and it's an easy interception. His second and third were both pretty, he, he was a little long on the third one, but it is the same idea receiver instead of, trying to lean into that pressing corner, just tries to run away from him and avoid contact. And you just get squeezed to the sideline and that becomes the second defender over there. And you have to throw an absolutely perfect ball to complete it. And uh, there weren't a lot of those uh, last weekend. So, uh, You know, another thing that I, I noticed watching the game back uh, earlier this week was the running backs can't pass protect. It, I mean, they're, you know, Kelly Joyner's what, maybe 5'10, 180 pounds. Johnny Ford's 5'5. I mean, they can do the best that they can, but they're, they're trying to cut these guys out from their legs. The defenders are going to see that on film and they were able to either sidestep or just leap over them and just have guys rushing straight at them. Um, It's going to be an issue going forward. Uh, The offensive line hasn't had the same five guys play um, at all. Uh, in any three games. So again, trying to figure out the continuity along the offensive line, plus having a poor pass blocker as a running back. It's a tough sledding for any quarterback. I don't see how, you know, they're going to ECU. We'll see how bad Temple is. I don't think Temple's going to be good, but otherwise, like, what else can you be? You know what I mean? Navy's a, a toss-up. Navy, I think Navy. Yeah. So I think Navy, I watched that Navy Air Force game. Uh, I lost money on that Navy Air Force game. <laughs> Don't bet any more games or navies involved. I have, honest to God, like I've I've had a, an okay season, barely above break even right now. But um, that navy, you take navy out, I'm I'm having a pretty good year. They're they're just terrible, and like 
but I don't think they're the kind of terrible that necessarily doesn't match up well with USF. So uh, I feel I, like I think they're not very athletic. They're which not, I, they, which I think they, that's exactly what USF needs to play against. Okay. Well, at least um, one, at least that's what they need to play. The defense is not super athletic because if some, if you can play man against USF right now, nobody can get open, and these quarterbacks want to make tight throws. And some of them won't even attempt the tight throws just because they don't want to turn the ball over. So. Um, I'm more worried about Navy with the ball, like our defense being able, that's going to be the problem is like, they're not, this is not Malcolm Perry's triple option, but like it is still, you know, they're not as bad as they got, how they got blown out by air force. Like they're not that. If you take out the second half of the two lane game, they're really terrible. Like if you take out two, they had a really good second half, but if you take that out the rest of the season, they're really bad. Their numbers are true. Yeah. I think this is a, a rebuilding year for coach Ken. For comedy's sake, USF is going to beat Tulsa on a Friday night, like 300%. You can book it. it bet your mortgage Lock on it. it. They're going to beat yeah. Tulsa because USF doesn't lose to Tulsa. Unlike some others. Unlike some other people. Down the street. And I would um, really appreciate you guys just ruining any shot the conference had at a rep in the college football playoff. Actually, I kind of um, do appreciate it because I – I know I really do appreciate it, actually, because I really don't want them to do that. I'm not going to lie. I was rooting against them. I know I'm supposed to for, like, financial reasons and whatever. Fuck that. No, I wanted them to lose. <laughs> I was watching them in real time and winning money, actually, because I had Tulsa. I want them to lose. Like, I'm sorry. I just do. The, the bigger thing that I'm more concerned about, and I want to see what you guys think, how does this year, and Seth, you can probably speak to this better than anything, how does this year affect the recruiting? Like, it seems like they're trying to run the stuff that they're trying to run, which helps when you're going to recruit and say, hey, these quarterbacks suck, but I know you can be the guy who can make this throw, who can, you know, execute this play. When you go to a wide receiver from like Armwood or Plant or someplace yeah. like hey, that. Hey, you want to hey, play next year and play close yeah. home and play next year? Right. And, and get, a jump on your, uh, get a jump on your first contract in the NFL? Right. And, and plus, you can also go to that kid and say, you know, hey, you're going to – this route right here, this route that our guy can't stay inbounds because he can't – he's getting pushed off the ball or, you know, this lack of execution. Or even if you're an offensive lineman, this guy is getting dusted here. You're going to play over that guy because I know you can do that right now. Yeah, How does that I, help in recruiting? I've recruited to a bad team before. We went – when I was at Tuscaloosa, we had a really rough year, and we were recruiting – when I left, we were recruiting that next group. So we had guys in on visits and you just pull up the tape and show them, Hey, this was the idea. Don't you think you could have made this throw? Like we, right. I, I think we ended up signing two quarterbacks and that was it. Like we just pull on the tape for them and go, Hey, this is the idea. Do you see how open that guy is? Could you hit that throw? And okay. So I, I think it makes it easier, especially when you can sell playing time. And if you're in the transfer market or the Juco market and you could sell, immediate playing time. That's what those guys are looking for. So when you're going back to look at those guys that are maybe want to come closer to home, well, I mean, where's a spot that somebody can't come in and start right away? Like on the entire team next year, is there a single spot? Maybe linebackers, if both those guys are back, but you can have another linebacker. So you can play with three. So I don't think there's a single spot on the roster next year. You couldn't tell somebody you have a chance to come in and start, which I think is what they would like to do. The only problem is you only get 25 kids at a time. And it seems like they probably need about 45 to be competitive. It's going to take a while. That's the only issue. Yeah, I wonder how that'll, I wonder how that'll work with the um, with the eligibility thing this year. I wonder if that'll have any effect on 
I think it's still going to be 25 yeah. counters. Is it? If you just keep your guys. So, I mean, best case scenario, Mike Hampton and KJ Sales are back. I doubt both things happen, but I mean. I wouldn't be shocked. It'd be nice. Yeah, yeah it'd be cool. But you know, another year, and you can, you know, Jeff Scott can, can sell, you know. I mean, I coached Deshaun Watson. He just got a fat contract. I coached D-Hop. Just got a fat contract. I know what I'm doing. These these things are going to be open. We just need the horses, and we don't have them right now. Again, Which, I would almost. It seems to be how the recruits are acting too. I think there's been recruits talking like to fans on when fans on Twitter are talking about recruiting. There's recruits saying, "Oh, it's going to be different." They know they can come in and play. Like so, there's there's recruits already telling fans, "Hey, this next class year is going to be ready to roll." Um, so I think that's what they're being told. Hey, you're good enough. You'll play. Right. And that needs to be the goal for the season. I, I mean, screw the damn games. Like we need better players. If you can find a couple of guys from the games, that's awesome. But there is a fundamental talent deficit on this football team and it is inherent and it is bad. And there are just not, there are some guys out there that should not be playing, you know, FBS football straight up and they don't fit well together. You know, who runs five quarterbacks out there? Who runs five quarterbacks out in the season? Desperate, desperate teams that don't have enough talent that are just looking for a spark. That's where we're at. It's fine. You you typically don't travel five quarterbacks on the road. That's, that seems never excessive. I don't know what the travel rules are in 2020. Um, They might be different this year, but normally you can only travel 65. It's like 70. I think it's 75, maybe. 75 this year, I think. It's a seven-five. Okay, so you're traveling one one in every fifteen players that you're traveling as a quarterback. Maybe. That's nuts. And then when you, I mean, when you add in Randall St. Felix, that really, it really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> one in twelve and a half. I don't um, know. I think I mentioned this previously. On the, I'm not sure if I did, but I saw somewhere that USS recruiting ranking has gone down nine of the last ten years, so consecutively. Just I mean, I mean, so it's just, it's just in a free fall, and it has been for a while. There was probably some of that with the transition from, uh, I don't even know if that's 10 years ago now, but it's probably, right, Big East to AAC, but it's just been, for the most part, steadily going down. And Willie's that's first, the reflection. Willie's first class would have been the one then, right? The, I, think yeah, yeah, the I, next, I think it was. It would be the next year, the, the 2014, the, the flower. And I'm not sure if that number starts back at that. Yeah. If it went up, it starts back, but it's been 9 out of 10, this class is gone down. That's it's just crazy. been a slow decline. Yeah. Get better players. Start paying better players too. Like, you know, if you're a donor or a booster out there, look, we need you in the streets with the wallets open. Like, no, go push, with- go push name image, uh, likeness through. NIL baby, whatever. Push, if you're a donor in Florida, stop giving your money to the bulls club and start giving it to the players directly. I didn't say that out loud. Did I? I think I did. Well, NIL, there you go. You can do that. NIL. Like, you know, if you're a local business, you need to start overpaying for some, uh, some Facebook and Instagram posts from your favorite student athletes, particularly on the football team. Exactly. Let's see. I think we've kind of touched on the quarterback. I do want to mention, uh, Trey Dukes has looked he's a brand new dude this year. Um, he seems to be the one consistent option at wide receiver, uh, which is which is really nice to see because from all accounts he's such a nice person. So it's really good to see him get steady action uh, in the offense. You know, I think he had a he had a great reception um, 
think it was, oh God, man, I think it was from Travis Marsh where he gets flushed. It made Travis or Jordan. He get, they get flushed out of the pocket. He could have just dumped it off to the running back, but he finds Trey Dukes who turns, you know, it, it was like, turns a 10 yard gain into, I think like a 16 yard gain and makes it third and short instead of third and 10 after a penalty. So really nice to see that he's just really come on as one of the reliable targets. Now we got to make sure we find, you know, Randall St. Felix, you know, quarterback extraordinary. He's got to get, he's got to get involved more. He had one, had one really good uh, reception. I think it was on a mesh route. He just got, he got open and went for 15, 16 yards. That needs to be more consistent with him. Um, but I think he may have been replaced in the starting lineup. I think, the, I think Latrell Williams started in his place this last week. Ooh. And the, when the first when the first unit went out, I'm pretty sure it was Latrell Williams opposite Dukes. Um, let me see if where can I find that. I'm not sure it was on depth chart, but I remember saying that guy looks a little bit uh, slimmer. Yep, it was uh, Latrell Williams and Trey Dukes alongside uh, Bryce Miller in the slot. Which I think you need. I think St. Felix and Dukes are pretty similar kind of players, like what they do well. Mm-hmm. So I think you need somebody more explosive opposite to give you a little more complimentary, which that makes Williams is seems to be that he's got the longest reception on the season. But yeah, I think St. So St. Felix might've just, I think him and Dukes just play pretty similar game. So I think Dukes is playing pretty, pretty well now getting himself open a lot, especially on those intermediate routes using his body to get himself open. So that might be kind of why St. Felix has fallen a little bit out of favor. He just kind of uh, Dukes is kind of overtaking. Let me give Dukes a shout out too. So that I had one year where I, foolishly decided that I wanted to cover recruiting because I wanted to get paid more money than SB Nation was paying me. And uh, so I had to cover um, recruiting. And Tridux was one of the nicest kids to interact with uh, in that recruiting class that I was covering. So I'm very happy for his current success. I wish he had somebody a little bit better again the ball because I think he does have some explosive ability. And I would like to be able to see him get his numbers a little bit higher. But yeah, don't ever cover recruiting. God bless you, Will Turner. You're doing the Lord's work. It's terrible. Well, I don't know how people do this every day. It's the worst. You, you did cover maybe the most head case rattled recruiting class in recent U.S. You're welcome. history. Uh, You're welcome. Jamal Ivey, uh, I think Josh Dunn, Andre Polk. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think Christian Gaynor was in that class. It, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, maybe it's You're your welcome. fault. Maybe it's your, I, maybe it's your fault. Yeah, it's completely my fault. It's not anything to affect that Willie like to completely checked out. <laughs> Uh, that was his that was his uh man if i'm here next year something went wrong recruiting <laughs> there was there was a swings. there might have been an agent in memphis tennessee going hey don't worry about it i got you <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that class was trash um oh lord but you know and that's not a knock on willie you know he, he got you know great players in here and has done a good thing and i think he's gonna win at fau too but yeah, you know, I, you're right. It's consistency in recruiting. That's really what I'm, you know, I want to judge Jeff Scott by. And I think that's why we're seeing an offense that may not necessarily fit the talent that we have right now, because I think let's put it on film and show the future kids. Hey, we're trying to be, you know, G5 Clemson. And I don't think that's an unreasonable goal. He's young, he's personable. It seems like the staff is young and personable. It definitely gets social media a hell of a lot better than anything I've ever seen at USF before. So all the all the accoutrements are there to make something happen. I just I literally have never cared less. And I'm and I'm even going back to McNeese in two and ten. I have never cared less about the product on the field that's there right now for USF football. 
maybe because it's 2020 and maybe it's whatever. I, I hope we find some kids that can play. I'm still watching the games, but like, I, you know, I had, I had two screens up during our game. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like focused on USF football at all. That's fine. These, these games don't matter anyway. Worry about the long-term health of the program and the long-term health of the program, I think is in real, real good hands, you know, and just sort of get through and hopefully, hopefully we can be DCU. That would be nice. Maybe we'll definitely be Tulsa. Like you said, that's a surefire stone cold lead pipe lock. Mm-hmm. Tulsa's definitely turning the ball over six times here. Oh, no, always sure. lock it up. <laughs> for sure. Let's, let's uh, move on to, to ECU. Uh, they're, they've been, Terrible! they've been a bit of a tire fire <laughs> through two games. Um, they've, they've scored, uh, I think 28, 29 points in their two games, which is hey, a lot more than USF has, but they've also given up a shit ton of points. I think they lost to Georgia Southern, Georgia state, Georgia state. 49 to 28 or 29, uh, last week. And, uh, George and two of the touch, uh, Joel, one of the touchdowns was a fake field goal they scored on. And another one was a blocked punt. They returned for a touchdown. Hey man, all three phases, baby. Yes. All three phases. Uh, so it's been a bit of a tire fire for uh, Coach, Coach Mike Houston and the Pirates of Greenville. Seth, what is there anyone USF should be especially afraid of? Uh, you know, outside of uh, eternally hating Ricky Pearl's son, Blake, is there anyone else that we should really, really hate? I haven't watched a ton of them yet. I've watched a little bit. Uh, the quarterback's really up and down. He'll there'll be times where he'll just throw you the ball. There's a few times in the Georgia State game where he just – this is like an RPO. He made the wrong read. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to throw it anyways. And there's like a guy <laughs> standing right where he wanted to throw it, and he threw an interception. Uh, but he has times where he's a pretty good player. He uses a little bit of athleticism. But, you know, nobody flashes immediately, especially not on defense for them. I think they're going to try to be more aggressive than they were last year. Last year I thought – watching them that they kind of played the same look a lot. I think they're going to be more aggressive than they were last year, but they still, and I'll have to watch more, but they still kind of get where if you're, if you've kind of spread them out formationally, they'll spread out defensively and keep two safeties high. Mm-hmm. I think they want to roll one down, but if you, they're leaving like five man boxes. So I would think that like last year, USF just ran the ball down their throat. It's kind of, it looks like it's, it might be the same recipe this year that if they empty out the box and only leave one linebacker in there just so you can run the ball, which I think was what USF would love to be able to just lean on their running game and mix in some play action passing or some RPO stuff in when they can. But if they lean on the running game, I think that would be the preference, which they might get. Yeah, there's so, a term called the, the, the get-right game. Do you think this could be the get-right game for the USF offense against uh, this defense? It's going to have to be. <laughs> there's, not many, there's not many more coming down the pipe there. Uh, if, if, if they can't run, that's I'm, that'll be what I'd be interested to see. If you're looking at the game, if they can't run the ball, now if, if they're blitzing and stuff like that, then you know that's different. But if they're staying with their, they kind of spread the box out, and you've only got five guys in the box, and you still can't run the ball, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble because you haven't shown the propensity to be able to throw the ball very well this year. And if they can't run the ball against them, if they have an empty out box, they're not going to be able to run the ball against anybody the rest of the year. So. Yeah. There are 70, hold on. There are 77 teams in, uh, that have played a college football game in the FBS level this year. ECU is third, uh, or 73rd in allowing 50 points a game. They're giving up seven yards per play. 
They played against C and Georgia State. They lost to Georgia State by 20. Georgia State um, was just running the ball down their throat. Or they did whatever they wanted. They, they do some weird stuff that looks very unsound to me, which is bizarre. Georgia State or ECU? ECU. ECU. Yeah, the way yeah, they played a couple of things was really weird. So defensively, they've allowed 5.6 yards of rush, which not great especially considering the schedule that they played against. 16, uh, uh, 69th in the country against the Rush. Yeah, yeah a C team that uh, lost by to Tulsa and a Georgia State team that's Georgia State. They're just – they're not good, man. And this is one I think USF can find a way to steal. And it would be nice, you know, to give the kids something to be happy about and hang their hat on going forward. At least they can learn how to win. Spread open four, four and a half last I looked. USF is a favorite. Might be the last time we see that this year. TCU's <laughs> uh, given up 8.6 yards of pass attempt. That's so bad. <laughs> um, I mean, considering their schedule, like it's one thing if you're like, okay, you play Clemson, they, you give up 8.6. All right. But considering their schedule, it's, um, yeah, it's four and a half still. Total's 55. How are these teams going to combine to score 55 points? Seth, are we on the under here? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't say, I, I, if you said it was under 30, I'd think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, right. Entering data and <laughs> click. Okay, done. Yeah, we're on it. So, I, mean, I mean, do you think anybody's going to score? Because I think USF's defense is really stout. So I don't think this team's going to go up and down the field on them. So it's not like they're going to score. They're not going to score in the 30s. And is, is USF going to score in the 20s? No. It's possible. I think, yeah, low 20s, right? But I don't think ECU's getting to the 30s. So how are we getting to 55? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this this is bad. This is bad football. I, I will so, say, um, just because of how awful these two teams have been, ECU does have the advantage with uh, Jake Verity as their kicker. He is, I think, the best kicker in college football. Um, I think he leads the NCAA in career field goal, field goal makes. Um, don't quote me on that, but he's wow. he's uh, he's up there. He's just a, a, a rock solid. He's six to seven um, from this year. Uh, this year, uh, he missed a forty-four yarder, but he's hit. Uh, excuse me, he's uh, three of three on field goals. He's hit a thirty-four, a forty, and a forty-eight. So he's hit two forty-yard field goals. Uh, a feat that has escaped USF uh, since the opening game of the 2018 season. So that, that could be an issue. The pirates do have one, two, three, they have four rushers with at least 15 attempts and they're all averaging under four yards a carry. That's less than ideal. Um, yeah, they're averaging 3.68 as a team on the season rushing. Yeah. So ECU by S and P is 119th. They fell from 107th last week. They are a 101st on offense, 123rd on defense. I guess that's where they figure US is going to get to 55. Um, but on special teams, they are 16th. <laughs> so they, have, they, they got a they've, kicker. They've they had a, they have a kicker and Blake Pohl, Pearl uh, returned a punt for a touchdown as well. And they blocked yeah. and they blocked a punt for a touchdown last week. So there's that. Calm. Where is USF's defense in S- S- SP plus? Part of me. And SP plus includes everybody, still, right? It's not just teams that have played. Right. So USF is 101st in S and P. They are 120th on offense. They are 52nd on defense. Really like that under. And then uh, 74th on special teams. 
Which um, special teams is limited, however, to only teams that have played games this year, which I think is 76 or 77. So they are really dragging ass uh, on special teams statistically. Now, one thing um, that uh, Jeff Scott brought up on his radio show that I hadn't even thought of, but it's definitely, it makes a lot of sense for the special team woes. They're not going to run out guys that play every down on one unit on special teams. So when you're having to replace eight guys on defense, you may have taken five or six guys off your special teams that were going to play. So now you're having to put five or six new guys that hadn't done, they're going to a ton of practice, like on the kickoff team, perhaps. Right. So when you get, so that's like a, why the special teams may be lagging is because they're having to throw guys out like late in the week that, all right, you're on kickoff team now. This guy's got to go, this guy's got to go play linebacker this week. And you, you say that, and that may be why Jeff Scott's holding kicker tryouts, specifically looking for someone to boom the ball out of the back of the end zone on kickoffs. So we don't cover. have to worry about that. Yes. Uh, Dude, I had a, and this sucks. I had a fraternity brother in college who like, when we played flag, this was back when the flag teams, you would actually kick extra points and field goals. You wouldn't just like go for two or whatever. God, you actually old. did it. I know. So old. But we had a guy who could literally legit make 50 yarders, like no problem. He now he has a square toe on his, on his <laughs> He's like five foot six. Like, <laughs> yeah. But now he's a manager at Publix. He could freaking bomb them. He's, the totally he's yeah, exactly. Right. If he had just like come to school 20 years later, he would have absolutely made the team this year. <laughs> so we'll see a uh, bit of news, at least from the kicker. Uh, point of view, Kobe Weiss had to medically retire, uh, just ongoing back issues that just never uh, got fixed. Um, I know in the off season, he had mentioned he had changed his diet, lost a bunch of weight, getting healthy, and then just kind of re-aggravated in the fall and just one of those things that he just couldn't get healthy again, which is unfortunate. Super nice kid. I believe he is the the man, uh, I, think, I think it was him, maybe it was Spencer Schrader, who just got did demolished uh, against UMass on the extra point. I think it was Kobe. I think it was Kobe Weiss who ended up actually breaking his arm uh, and kicked with the cats for a while um, after uh, basically getting targeted uh, after a touchdown versus UMass a couple of years ago. So uh, really tough, uh, tough break for him, but man, this, this, if USF can't beat this, I, if, honestly, if USF can't put up 30 points against this ECU defense, I'm going to be, very annoyed, even with how bad this USF offense has been. The USF offense was bad last year going into this game and put up 40-something points. Where's Jacquez Evans? Where is he at? We haven't seen much, if any, of him this year. We'll love to see him uh, back out there again uh, against CCU. One of those, well, he had a good game last year against them. Why not trot him out again? And just be another dynamic piece uh, for this for this offense. It, uh, unload the clip on ECU. Uh, I think that's always going to be the motto of us, of USF fans everywhere. Just always unload the clip on ECU in any sport ever for the rest of eternity. So why not this week? Get the, get the Janord memes ready. Let's go. Uh, absolutely, folks. Get them ready. I don't think there's really anything else that we should need to want to cover for this game. We'll have the film room um, later this week to kind of you know, break down ECU, break down what went wrong uh, versus Cincinnati, including those interceptions and some other select plays. Uh, this is the part of the show where we uh, ask for predictions. 
Um, so Colin, I'm going to start with you since you're the, the newcomer on the pod, uh, for this uh, football season so far, give me a score prediction. USF wins 14, 10 <laughs> win, no cover 14, 10 USF. All right, Seth, let's go. I'm going to USF 21 to 20 on a blocked extra point. Ooh, I like it. Jake Verdi has missed an extra point this year. So. You may be onto something. That's exactly why I said that. <laughs> What's, what was Steve's pick? He's the finale. Okay. I'm going to go. Yeah, I, I think I've picked USF to lose back to back weeks, and uh, I, was, I was right. I was pretty close on, on this, the point total uh, for last week. I think I gave Cincinnati too many points, and uh, USF four fewer than needed. Um, Let's go 34-20 USF. Oh, good. That's my under. <laughs> You're there. Just, just, for, just for uh, just one, one last note, um, just so you can kind of get an idea maybe of where uh, ECU is at. So they've played, they haven't played as good as defenses as USF has, but they're tied in yards per play. So that's where their offense is. So that's make, that's make you feel pretty good. It does. Uh, I think Jordan McLeod starts. I think he almost ties his own record that he holds with uh, Marco Blackwell for five touchdowns in a game. Uh, I think he gets four. I think he throws for three, runs for one, and kind of lights up ECU. I think Trey Dukes has a big game. I think Johnny Ford has a big game and gets either close to 100 yards rushing or receiving, maybe 100, maybe 150 yards combined total offense from Johnny Ford. But yeah, that's, that's my prediction for that. Steak sent his in. Uh, he let us know that, um, you know, USF really has ECU's number that I think they're, they're nine and one all time against uh, ECU. And he said that USF will win 56 to seven and ECU will not score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. So let's mark that down. And, and let's get this win. Um, is there any final thoughts that you guys want to, Say before we kind of get out of here, it's going to be a long pot tonight. Uh, let's build an indoor practice facility. Go Bulls. Second. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.